0: We got the alternative energy right. kill our free autonomy we And welcome to the Radioactive Show produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne and heard nationally on the Community Radio
1: Network
2: So you go right back to the beginning and you see a pattern of promises and then abandonment and diversifying for profit, and then reduction of public funding as a backup strategy. So from all points of view, they are not a responsible corporation.
3: Our communities have uh, had 30 years of uh, the mining industry's promises. They said they would give us prosperity, economic prosperity,
4: it didn't happen. The advice we got was keep your language because your language will be the one to command it to return back to where it, it came from.
5: This is part one of the two-part Radioactive Show special looking at the uranium mining industry in the north of the Canadian province, Saskatchewan. The industry is dominated by one company, Cameco, and their presence there is inescapable. Cameco now owns several deposits of uranium in Australia and has one fairly advanced proposal at Kintyre in Western Australia. The traditional owners for Kintyre have launched a campaign to stop the mine from going ahead there. The people of Saskatchewan have been dealing with Cameco for more than 30 years. The voices you heard at the start of the show were Candace Paul, Marius Paul and Jim Harding, who I met at the World Uranium Symposium in Quebec, Canada in April 2015. They invited our crew of anti-nuclear activists to Saskatchewan to hear their experiences and see their beautiful forested land and to bring their painful stories home. So we hit the road and went. First visiting Professor Jim Harding, author of Canada's Deadly Secret, at his home in Fort Capel, and then continuing 800 kilometres north to the English River First Nation Reserve, where Candace and Marius Paul live. They told us a lot about how Cameco's operations affect First Nations people in remote Saskatchewan, and the public relations campaigns they use to try and cover up their reputation as a corrupt, exploitative and dangerous company. Let's begin with some background to uranium mining in Saskatchewan from Jim Harding.
2: I'm Jim Harding. I live in a rural area in Saskatchewan, which is one of the largest producing regions in terms of uranium mining, and I've worked on that really since the 50s, around nuclear weapons, because uh, the the nuclear disarmament movement, of course, preceded the the nuclear power phase-out movement. And uh, I'm a retired professor of environmental studies and justice studies.
5: Can you give us a snapshot of this... This province, and how many uranium mines there are, if there's nuclear energy, if there's not, if there's
2: waste. Uh, This province, along with Ontario, developed the first big mines for nuclear weapons, uh, uranium fuel for nuclear weapons, in the 50s. But the Northwest Territories was developing radium and then became in the 40s and then became the site for some of the uranium that was used in Hiroshima. so we we parallel the the nuclear weapons age in in canada from really from the very beginning Um, saskatchewan started in 53 and expanded in the 80s as part of the supposed coming nuclear power boom which didn't happen Um, there's been three attempts to so-called build on the uranium economy with nuclear power that have failed the last one 2009 and uh, there's been attempts since 1991 right up until just this last year 2014 to find willing communities to take nuclear waste from out of problems. So we don't produce any reactor waste, but there's been attempts to get us into nuclear power. There's been two attempts at uranium refineries. So we end up as basically the front end with a lot of big mines, mostly Arriva, the French company, and Cameco, the Canadian-based company, um, with new ones always on stream. So we're clearly right at the top in terms of a producing region for the, for the uranium industry. There, there's joint ventures and probably six or seven big mines.
5: Okay, well, we're, we're rolling. So if you can start by introducing yourself and positioning us on the planet.
3: Okay. I'm Candace Paul. Uh, I live in English River First Nation, La Plange Reserve, which is about 500 kilometers north of Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, in Canada. And uh, I'm a person who's been dealing with uh, the nuclear and uranium mining industry in terms of opposition. In our area, that's one of the few uh, few industries that they have deemed useful our land is useful for. So we used to have an economy based on the land. People all were working. There was no such thing as unemployment. People trapped, they hunted, they fished. If they wanted to sell stuff, they sold stuff. But mostly it was subsistence so that they could feed their families. And everybody was busy. Everybody provided for their own needs, for their own families. And there was no need for anything else. Um, What happened, though, is they discovered minerals. And one of the big minerals they discovered in northern Saskatchewan is uranium. So there's several companies operating in northern Saskatchewan. Chemical is the biggest one. And it is actually starting to run our communities. Our communities have uh, had 30 years of, of the mining industry's promises. They said they would give us prosperity, economic prosperity. It didn't happen. We had a few people go to work and a few people made money. But nowhere near all the people were able to work. And it's done a lot in terms of damaging our family structure. In our area, the First Nations people had to go to residential schools in the past. And so the children were always removed from the parents for up to 12 years. Now it's the other way around. These, are, these mining jobs are fly-in jobs. Uh, They learned very quickly from the very first uranium mine they built in Saskatchewan that people could start to get sick, so they did not... After they closed that one down suddenly, they uh, decided that all the remaining mines would not have communities built next to them and they would all be flying. So people go to work for a week to ten days and then they're home for a week. And now, that way parents are being removed from the children. So we still have impacts. We still can't have normal family lives. There's still a a lot of problems, social problems, because of that. The people go to work, the ones that... We have a class structure now we didn't have. So we used to have a society where people would share... But these people that go to work don't share. They come and they go south and they spend their money and buy big stuff and they show off. You know, the rest of the society and the communities is. I know people who haven't hardly got any food in their fridge and their cupboard. And these guys can
5: play. That's Candace Paul speaking about how uranium mining has damaged family structures and split communities. She explains how the workforce shifted from local employment to fly-in, fly-out, when workers started developing illnesses related to exposure to uranium.
4: Good day to everybody. My name is Marius Paul. That's a settler handed down to us uh my traditional name is Sasnare. That means bare eyes. They started off in a place called Cliff Lake. And our Clef Lake Mining has been in operation since the seventies. Early seventies. Mm. And that's when our, our uh elders sat us down, some of us, anyway, they sat us down and said, hey, you got to look after you, you got to watch these guys here. They're, they're, they're building big bullets. And so we took that to mean big bullets and in our language, we take each show That means big bullets. So that's, it was in reference to <clears throat> to atomic bombs and other other WMDs. So they took it on us. They said, they, they said that some of us had to look monitor, look, that's all we could do. I mean, what can we do? There's only very few of us, a handful of us. But our purpose from back then on was to, was to become more factual and ordinary citizens like doctors, uh, uh, some scientists that also aligned with us. So, so they were able to, to help us. Deal with the challenges of the nuclear science, mm. physics, and and, and math, and other and other languages of the nuclear industry.
5: That's Marius Paul speaking about how the Elders knew about the uranium from the beginning and warned their people about the bullets, a euphemism for nuclear bombs, that the uranium is used to produce. Jim Harding will tell us now about the tax evasion that Cameco engages in, leaving the public purse out of pocket by 1.5 billion Canadian dollars. And what have been some of the costs to the public and benefits.
2: Well, they do. They, they always crunch their numbers to justify this trickle-down benefit to the province. Right now, based on the Canadian revenue um, cases against Chemical, there's an estimate that as much as $1.5 billion exists in back taxes and penalties just for chemical in Canada. And that could include as much as 300 million failed taxes for this province, which is a bigger chunk than the province says we'll get in sales, chemical sales to India for uranium. So they, they always tell you how many jobs are, are created. They always tell you how much taxes. They always tell you how much uh, royalties They never tell you what was the value of the sales and what was the profit that went out of the province, and it's massive. There's no doubt most of the value of the sales leaves the province and certainly doesn't stay in the north. It's not building any kind of sustainable economy in the north. Then if you take a look at when the government did co-own, before Cameco was privatized, all of their savings up to when Chemical was formed in 1988, which were supposed to be creating an environmental and a heritage fund for long-term waste management, because the Social Democrats talked a good line about we'll be responsible stewards, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. All that money was gone. It was reinvested into expanding the uranium industry. So there's literally nothing that you can say is there for dealing with it. And the best example is the first mine that was produced, (coughs) producing uranium for U.S. nuclear weapons, the Gunner mine, 1953 to 1966. They still don't have the estimated 200 million required to just contain those wastes from getting into Lake Athabasca. So you go right back to the beginning, and you see a pattern of promises and then abandonment and diversifying for profit, and then reduction of public funding to, as a backup strategy. So from all points of view, they're not a responsible corporation. Then if you look at the impacts on the North, because the great promise of the solution to very high unemployment among Cree and Métis and Dene, the, the Indigenous populations in the North, who are you know the vast majority of the population in the North, there's been no shift in the relative stance of northern Saskatchewan from before the uranium so-called boom. It's still the second poorest, northern re- second poorest region in Canada after Manitoba. And it, it shows what we all know as economists or sociologists. Mining is capital-intensive, does not create a lot of labour per investment. It's an extremely expensive way to create any kind of local economy with jobs probably one of the worst industries for that, and the money tends to leave the region. One inquiry in '93, it was so so clear from the evidence that was produced that the benefits were not going to the north that the actual federal inquiry recommended one mine not go ahead and one mine be stalled until there was a policy to ensure redistribution Of benefits, and that there wasn't cumulative environmental impacts, and it was ignored, and the government went ahead and approved those mines. That's the only time it ever became a a big issue, and here we are, 2015, and unemployment is still as high in the north. Uh, Some people get high-paying jobs; they spend it in the cities. It's not something that, that builds up the local economy. The, the, the northern sort of a sustainable economy is ultimately going to come from renewals, mm. not from boom-bust toxic mining.
0: So that
3: the way that they operate. Nothing is significant to them. These these harms that they cause aren't significant to them. Oh yeah, well we got it stopped at this point and, and we're watching, we're measuring. That's how they do it. Mm-hmm. And how it's impacting our life is like we depend on traditional foods, hunted and gathered foods. The cost of food up here is prohibitive. You can't just really afford to go out and buy from the stores here if they triple the price that it is down south. And it's poor quality. Mm. So, the traditional foods we really still depend on. We, we need moose. We need fish. We need caribou. We need berries. But our moose, our caribou, our fish are all being found to have traces of radionuclides and heavy metals in them. And they say that these fish and and meat are below the safety level, so you should be able to eat them if you don't eat them every day. We eat them every day. We eat the organ meat where most of it was most concentrated. And, uh, you know, I actually talked to the person who did the study, this professor that did the study, we had a really long conversation about this, and she says, they are below the safety levels. I said, what do you think of the safety levels? I said, she said, that's the question. What they consider the safe limits may not actually be safe. But she's not allowed to say that in her report because Mm. those are the safety limits. But what we've noted is the safety limits are set by the industry. And quite often they're set to what their machinery and their equipment can handle to remove from whatever tailings and and effluents that are coming out of the mind. In the past, cancer was a really rare thing.
0: Mm.
3: You might get one cancer death a year, if you were lucky. Um, Today, it's one in seven. We've got 750 in our communities, and there's a se- there's hundred of them that have cancer. And it's all kinds of cancers. The only one that the chemical and the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission admit to is lung cancer, because of the radon gas emissions.
5: any mining affected people
4: in the north here the uh, well it's created a big big division because of the economic uh, question number. so a lot of people were <clears throat> had to decide between uh, making a living and uh, on the other hand, watch expropriation, lands were being expropriated through that business approach, as well as contamination. So that was another issue. that, That was our main concern. Our main question was, are you guys taking care of the land? And if so, could you show us proof that you are doing that? Because... A lot of the times we try to find out what are the radiation readings up in those areas, and we can't find them, mm. but we know that you are taking readings, so you're challenging us by hiding them, and we know so you know the the division created is also <clears throat> caused a lot of the treaty ten area uh communities to be to be even more fragmented, mm-hmm. you know, the geographical uh, arrangement of these communities that has been designed by the cabinet, by the Indian Affairs Ministry, made it more fragmented. Especially when businesses started started uh, bringing in those activities like mining.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: So. That that would be about the main impact that has seriously affected the the integrity of the of the whole cultural group of the speakers.
5: That was Marius Paul and before him, Candice, speaking about radioactive contamination, the difficulties accessing reliable data about it and the fragmentation of communities in northern Saskatchewan. Let's now hear a brief clip from Kirsten Skansen, First Nations woman from La Ronge, speaking at a public hearing of the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission.
1: My name is Kirsten Skansen. I'm a Nehida woman and a graduate student from the Indigenous Governance Program. I come from and currently reside in northern Saskatchewan. The Key Lake mine site, the location of the latest toxic mine effluent spill, is part of our territory, the Woods Cree Nation. I stand with my Dene relations on whose territories the other mines are situated and who live downstream from the uranium mines, mills, and tailings in northern Saskatchewan. I am furious that you disrespect... Indigenous peoples across the region that you call Canada. I'm a member of the Committee for Future Generations, a group of Indigenous men and women who, with our our settler allies, stand and fight the Canadian uranium industry at its source in northern Saskatchewan. I've been sitting here for two bloody days listening to the propaganda spewed by the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission about the safety of their operations. As such, I've compiled a list of lies I've heard at this meeting and will address them each with truth and incorporate some historical facts that prove the CNSC is complicit in the very nearly permanent pollution of Indigenous bodies and lands, as well as the lands of your own settler brothers and sisters um, where they now call home, including the City of Toronto. One of the interveners yesterday asked this commission point blank whether or not the uranium processed into fuel at the GE Toronto facility was sold for reprocessing into weapons-grade plutonium and enriched uranium for the creation of nuclear weapons. The commission answered that Canada was a signatory to a nuclear non-proliferation treaty. That was really cute. While that may be true, while Canada may have claimed its commitment to a nuclear weapons-free world, we know very well that that India began its nuclear warhead program after receiving a gift of Canadian technology in the 1970s. And for the record, the dene sout men who carried sacks of your beloved natural uranium at the world's first uranium mine in Port Radium, Northwest Territories, died horrible, painful deaths by cancer and bone necrosis, a condition where bone tissue dies and bone collapse, bones collapse. So, General Electric, don't give us your bullshit about the safety of natural uranium when our Dene brothers and their widows know firsthand exactly what its deadly properties are. You can't lie to us.
5: On this radioactive show, you heard Candace Paul, Marius Paul and Kirsten Skansen, all from the Committee for Future Generations, and Jim Harding, author of Canada's Deadly Secret. All of them incredibly dedicated and staunch in the face of the powerful monolith that is Cameco, the uranium industry would no doubt be larger than it is if not for these folk. This has been part one of two shows. The second instalment will play next week on the Radioactive Show. The music you've heard has been Marius Paul himself playing on a sunny day on the back porch of his house and a track from the 8th on the Free Music Archive. We'll go out now with "Law" by Madeline Hudson. This is the Radioactive Show produced on Wurundjeri land in the studios of 3CR and broadcast across this continent on the community radio network please get in touch with us by emailing radioactiveshow.3cr at gmail.com and remember you can get the podcast at all of the w's.3cr.org.au slash radioactive I'm jem Rommel and this two-part series is obviously dedicated to the struggle for a nuclear-free saskatchewan thanks for listening now who
0: Created, causing this Australian war. Too civilized now, to use swords. We use the sharp point of a pen and spin words. For peace, a peace of this land that holds the law, black man's law.